Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 16 of the podcast. It's been a while. I want to thank you all for your ongoing support and for coming back. I'm your host, Ali, and I want to invite you all to sit inside for a while. As always, if there's topics or questions you would like me to discuss or address on the podcast, please reach out to me via email or on social media. And always, again, make sure you're following, subscribed, and sharing episodes. That way, it helps the podcast grow and for you not to miss any episode releases. Today, joining us is fellow colleague and friend, Dr. Aaron Weiner, PhD. And we'll be talking about the impact of COVID-19 on substance use and addiction. Dr. Weiner, could you please introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, well, so as you said, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. Uh, I'm an addiction specialist. I'm board certified in counseling psychology. I'm in private practice right now. I do consulting. I do a lot of educational seminars as well. I've got a passion for teaching. And I'm just really excited to talk about this topic because I think it's it's critical that people understand what's going on so that we can each do our part in addressing it. Well, it is a pleasure to finally have you on the podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, please have a seat and I hope you enjoy the show. So since COVID began, have we seen a spike in the consumption of alcohol and substances? Have we seen any supporting data that kind of shows that alcohol sales have risen, substance use has risen, there's a lot of hospital admissions, or there's a lot of people seeking help for this kind of issue? Yeah, yeah. Well, all of the above, unfortunately. So, I mean, if if we want to go down the line, so alcohol sales, that was kind of like the, the first canary in the coal mine about this, where we saw these reports of online alcohol sales in particular spiking about 500 percent. Uh, overall, now it's, it's settled out to about a 50 percent increase in alcohol sales. Uh, marijuana, we've now seen releases from the marijuana industry nationally that year over year, they're up about 30 to 40 percent in terms of how fast people are buying it. Um, just anecdotally, talk, you know, thinking about my own practice, I know certainly I've, I've had people reach out to me for help. I've heard uh, people reach out, out to me in other channels as well, just about how this has been really strenuous, even for folks in recovery, for people who are already kind of had some self-medicating tendencies. It's been really challenging because everyone's under such a strain. We, we need to cope somehow, and that's an easy way out potentially for Right, at least how it seems. Yeah, and, and, and I got to believe, you know, a lot of the patients that are coming into the hospital to the dual diagnosis programs or the chemical dependency programs are reporting that things may have been going well, but then COVID began. And I, I just found myself falling deeper and deeper into this pattern, I guess. And there are a lot of contributing causes, whether it was the quarantine itself where you're kind of just stuck at home and you had nothing better to do or you just kind of felt like the absence of uh, social contact led you to not have anything better to do or the absence of just the accountability or support you know we're not able to see our friends our loved ones we're maybe not going into work in person so there's just lessening accountability that kept us on track or kept us in a, a structured daily routine Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and it all kind of blurs together. Before the show, we were talking about how time time has gotten a little yeah. wiggly here uh, in COVID because everything feels the same. And I think one of the issues with that is that if you get into one of these ruts of like, I'm going to deal with the stress of my life and the day, 
by by drinking something, say, by you know, by getting tipsy or getting drunk, it's very easy to just repeat that pattern over and over and over again, particularly in this age where uh, we, we can have alcohol shipped right to our door. You, you know, it's it, it makes it incredibly Absolutely. convenient. Absolutely, and I think just the, if even if you're working from home, I think that just made it all the more easier to fall in that trap of abusing alcohol or substances because it, we just we had the the time we had the space for it and again that lack of accountability or uh, other people in our life to tell us otherwise mm-hmm. right accountability to tell us otherwise i mean and it really is all up and down the spectrum i i know that in my practice i i am seeing folks who have seen themselves start to slip more in that direction and have been very concerned by what's going on i know other folks who are in recovery who have really felt a strain because you know, they're, they can't attend groups the way that they used to. The, the telehealth, you know, the online options are just not, not the same. There, there's all of these structures that are in place that help keep people going in a good direction that right now they've all kind of fallen away. And so the, the, the support, as, as anyone working in addiction treatment knows, that, that support is critical. Not going this alone is critical. And that's one of those intersections between COVID and addiction that's just been devastating. Yeah, I think people just couldn't do what they used to do in the past. And that just threw everyone off track, created this void that people just didn't know how to fill. You know, we've been used to certain activities, certain people in our life, and then suddenly those things are gone and we don't know what to do instead. So it just left, a, mm-hmm. like I said, a void that we didn't know how to fill. And, you know, whether you're stuck at home or this maybe a loss of a job, a loss of uh, structure that led to boredom. People working with a lot of substance abuse, dual diagnosis, that, that tends to be a big trigger for a lot of people, that boredom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, b- boredom is huge. And so is stress. And I, I really can't stress, no pun intended, that <laughs> enough. Um, I, I think sometimes people don't view mental health and behavioral health like like the rest of the body, where it's like you, you take in things and then you also have to like you have to mm-hmm. let out waste right like we know that's the way that it works for food and water like those biological systems but at the same time it really works the same thing for these emotional burdens and so if you already had we'll call it weak coping skills where like say like whenever you hit like a bump in the road it really throws you through a loop or you end up lashing out at, at, at loved ones or, or just really sending you into a spiral you keep on top of whatever your normal life was maybe financial concerns uh, maybe health related concerns maybe now you're parenting all day because your kids aren't going to school I mean there's a million things right now going on that that heap that on top in COVID then all of a sudden what do you do uh, you know that's that's where these these things start becoming really appealing whether it was undergoing all the changes that came with COVID whether it's if you're in school or your, your job kind of just changed the structure all of a sudden that must have brought in a lot of stress for a lot of people not to mention just the lack of boundaries that we had if you live with someone and all of a sudden you're spending enormous amount of times with them and just not having outlets you know whether it's a family or a couple not having outlets do you have something that you need to share Ali? <laughs> is there some <laughs> yeah, and then you know if you're a student and suddenly you're forced to go to virtual classes and that's not something maybe you're used to you're used to being in class with the hands-on learning and now you're having to acclimate or adapt to virtual learning and that must have been really just a major change in people's lives oh yeah i mean kids adolescents that's a whole 
another ball of wax, but but certainly, I mean, their their whole world exploded. I mean, in terms of how much their school was central to everything they were doing. And there was a, a survey that I saw towards the beginning of the pandemic that that found only one in 50 kids was not concerned about going back wow. to school. They were concerned about, yeah, I mean, it's everyone's concerned about them getting sick, them getting their teachers sick, them bringing things home to their family. It's just tremendously stressful. I will say though, something heartening that I saw about teen substance use was there was just a study came out like a day or two ago from the Truth Initiative that found that 60% of kids right now say that kids who are currently vaping say that they want to quit in 2021, which is great news. Um, I mean, ho hopefully we'll, we'll actually see that happen or any number of those kids do that. But I mean, I think it would be amazing if in this period of enhanced stress, they we were still able to see some progress yeah. there. No, I think, yeah, it has been a bumpy road, but there have been a lot of changes that have become positive over the, over the last year and you know it's allowed for us to really prioritize mental health i think people just covid made it an excuse or a reason to but it may, gave us an opportunity to really prioritize mental health and say well, it's okay to seek help everyone's going through the same thing and it kind of almost like made it a universal thing seeking help and I think that's one thing that we can look back on and say that was really, really uh, beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like if someone looks at you and they say that they're doing fine, you're, like, you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> you're not yeah. doing fine. None of us are doing fine. My dog isn't doing <laughs> fine. Yeah, uh, de de definitely a shared experience. Yeah. 100%. And I, I got to imagine, you know, a lot of people may have been teetering or bordering on struggling with whether it's mental health or substance use and just COVID came along and was basically the catalyst in this whole process for them. So whether their alcohol use was just kind of on the fence there or they're unsure about it and then pandemic came along and all of a sudden the use just skyrocketed. So I gotta imagine people may have been struggling prior to it or really just developed the substance use or alcohol issues while in COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think what I think the word that you used catalyzed is a really great way to put it, that it, it's taken whatever's there and either I'd say it really enhanced it or in other cases stopped it. I think that there was a lot of really positive work being done in these areas, um, particularly in the in the addiction realm, particularly in the opioid realm that came to a screeching halt when this pandemic began and, and still struggling to, to start back up. The, the opioid epidemic in particular is one of these areas that's taken a tremendous downward turn during this epidemic. Um, right, right now, nationally, opioid overdoses are up 30%, which is outrageously high, if you think about you know death, is what we're talking about here. And this was actually even on top of an increase that we already saw between 2018 and 2019 that the CDC reported back in December. And what, what we lost, of course, in, in this period was a lot of these naloxone initiatives. You know, there used to be all of these community-based groups that were going out uh, and around and you know, like taking, taking like harm reduction trucks around and talking about things like safe injection facilities, all these things that, that really, at least in their initial form, require this direct contact that all of a sudden, again, like it, it just it just all stopped. And so I think right now we're trying to recover and say, wow, so what do we what do we do? How do we turn this back around again? Because we, we had a lot of good things going and now it's really just dropped off the yeah. cliff. A lot of the 
mental health institutions or services that used to focus on those things are trying to turn it around and provide those services to the people that need it, whether it's uh, virtual programming or online seminars or something of that nature that just, I guess, allows us to continue providing those services so people that need it can still get the help they need. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that although tele- telehealth and the virtual services are not the same as doing things in person, I, I have been pleasantly surprised at how mm-hmm. well it actually does work, particularly for people who are motivated to, to engage in it, as well as some of the access. So there, there's something that, that went into some legislation that came out back in January of last year that unfortunately only applies to psychologists. Um, I, I wish it was more more broad, but it actually allows uh, those of us who, who get what's called an e-passport to practice telehealth across currently 14 different states. And I, I've, I did join that group, and right now I, I am seeing people from Georgia, from Oklahoma, from Utah, Pennsylvania, which is really amazing in so many senses that like they, they can be working with a specialist from Chicago anywhere you know in in these 14 states and i would love to, again to see this broaden out because i think when we talk about access issues uh, you know this is one of those things where if we actually had a good system for matching people and this this nationalized core of healthcare workers i mean goodness i mean you could you could reach so many people who otherwise couldn't get the help yeah that they need. i think a year ago or well beyond a year ago when we look at telehealth it wasn't too mainstreamed or too streamlined I guess and it was looked at as inferior to just in-person counseling but I think this last year we've seen that it can really be beneficial it does have its perks there's a lot of there's a lot of convenience to it people that can't necessarily get the help they need due to some kind of barrier or restriction this is giving them that help that they need and I think it's brought a lot of people that would have otherwise not sought out uh, mental health assistance in any way closer to that goal. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's also things you can do with telehealth that you couldn't do otherwise. Like I've had situations where I've been working with the client and that it would be helpful to pull in like their Mm -hmm. spouse. And if you were in the office, it would be like, all right, well, let's try to coordinate schedules get them in next time they just grabbed them from the other room <laughs> yeah. and they came right in you know what i'm saying like it, it, it was just so easy or if someone forgets about a session and you call them and they're like oh no then all, all they have to do is just jump on the telephone yeah, there's no platform, traffic on the know? way to <laughs> or... <laughs> right yeah you know unless you get waylaid by your dog yeah. or something but um like that's about it yeah no i uh I feel like it's brought a lot of convenience that a lot of people needed to be able to seek help and like you said, just that um, there's so many more facets of it that have made uh, our jobs easier in a way. So, Aaron, what, what do you think about just people that maybe never had a problem with substances in the past or alcohol in the past, and now they are seeking help for substance use or alcohol issues? So people that struggled in the past with substances and people that never really had an issue before with substances but now you know come covid they're finding themselves really just relying on alcohol and relying on substances to function um yeah so we we definitely are seeing both types i mean it's one of these things where 90 percent of addictions do tend to start 
when you're a teenager. A lot of times, if you're going to have a problem with this, it starts young, but it's not everybody. Um, I Again, I've, I've been working with people of all ages who have developed an addiction at all ages because our bodies work the, our, our bodies work the way they work. It's not necessarily bounded by specific points in time. So there's some folks who end up you know, getting in a car accident and or something of that nature and starting opioids later in life. I know some folks who lose a parent in their 30s or 40s and then start to drink. Um, I mean, there's a number of reasons why people might get into this cycle, but once you get into it, all of our bodies work the same way. You, you stick one of these substances in there and your brain is trying to basically adapt. It It's down-regulating the chemicals that you're adding because it's trying to to keep its equilibrium, it's trying to keep its homeostasis. So um, it's, it's, it's possible and it's something that we all need to be mindful of right now as as, as we're under as we're in this period of intense stress yeah because i feel like we talk a lot about how you know people that struggled with substance in the past or alcohol in the past and maybe they had been sober for some time and then their entire routine or structure was just thrown off completely because of covid maybe they didn't have access to their programs anymore or their meetings or maybe couldn't get in to see their psychiatrist or things just became hectic for them. And, you know, that became an opportunity just to fall back into old patterns or old behaviors. But I feel like on the other hand, people that maybe already struggled with anxiety or depression, and as things worsened in the last year, people didn't have anywhere else to turn to. And once you find a substance or alcohol, that suddenly just allows you to numb those feelings or maybe slow down your thoughts or really calm you down temporarily, you latch onto that substance and that becomes your new coping skill. And I think that's kind of where a lot of people are. Maybe they've been fine for years, never really had an issue with substances or were just drinking socially, casually. And then all of a sudden they're finding that they really need alcohol every day or they're abusing it on uh, a regular basis just to maintain a, a normalcy in their life. Yeah, well, it, it gets back to that idea of, of systems, right? And so if you have this way of living your life that allows you to deal with your stress and cope with the, the rigors of your daily life, it, it's like imagine you're walking around with a backpack of like 15 pounds and you're like, wow, this is, this is okay, I can do this. And then someone drops like another 50 pounds on top of you. And it's like, all right, this is not working anymore. Maybe I need a different backpack or maybe I need to be depending my knees more or maybe when someone first drops that 50 pound weight on your, your back, you fall down. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now. You know, certainly we've seen these tendencies in folks who might not have had the issue before and now now they're struggling with it. But for those who were in recovery, I mean, there's there's a number of, of ways that this has been difficult. You know, like one, one is uh, this idea that, um, and, and we've seen this in folks as well who aren't in recovery, but this idea of I'm just going to give myself a break, or it's COVID, it's a pandemic, I'm yeah. going to cut myself a break and just let my just let myself go and do what I need to do to be okay. But on the one hand, you know, self care is important, absolutely self care is important. You know, it's important that we don't confuse self care with uh, self destructive tendencies, particularly if this is something that. Uh, has, has been a problem for somebody in the past. I think the other part that you were alluding to is that people had these systems of managing a chronic condition. So, it, you know, that, that is what addiction is, right? It's a chronic condition that has these acute exacerbations where it flares up, but you've got to have a management plan and a management strategy to keep it under control. And so if your management strategy just disappeared, 
you know, you, you might not have something ready to swoop in and, and take its place. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And, you know, a lot of things happened last year, whether someone lost their job, whether they experienced relationship issues, whether they couldn't acclimate or adapt quick enough to the changes, whether your school went virtual and you're starting to realize your grades were declining or your work performance was declining or suddenly marital issues or relationship issues were um, starting to appear in your life. I think, you know, all those factors really play a role in someone's life. And if, again, we don't have the healthy coping skills or the ways to manage those situations at hand, we'll turn to something that we think might help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, no one can be tense and activated with cortisol rushing through their veins, you know, 24-7, like or every waking hour. We, we've got to have some some safety valve. And it's interesting that you, you bring up the, the marital problems. One of the most interesting things that I encountered in my work um, right after the pandemic began in my practice was that I had this influx of people who were coming to therapy because they could no longer deal with the guilt of the affairs that they'd had because now they're looking their spouse in the eye all the time and they can't avoid them anymore and they don't know what to do. <laughs> and, and that was that yeah. was not a side, I was not expecting that as like a side effect of the pandemic, but uh, yeah, COVID's been a bad time to be hiding a secret of an affair. Just gonna put that out there. <laughs> well, I feel like I've been calling COVID a catalyst. It's a lot like a pressure cooker. Right. If you had something going on and you put it in there, it it just, you said, exacerbated it or it made it a lot worse. Mm -hmm. So if we had something that we were struggling with, it just got exponentially worse. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go with my whatever that looks like my my kitchen item. I'm going to go with a Dutch oven. I think COVID's like a Dutch oven. It's very, (laughs) very intense. Cooks things quickly. Yeah. (laughs) Good ceramic. Um, So I guess if someone is struggling with a substance use issue or an alcohol issue, you know, what would they start to notice? What kind of symptoms can they be on the lookout for? Well, I think the easiest thing to watch for first is just behavioral. And like if it's something where you used to just like only have a drink sometimes, for example, but now you're finding that you're doing it more, whatever that is, like if it used to be once a week and now it's twice a week or three times a week or you used to just have like a drink when you drank and now you're having two or three you're kind of looking for that creep you're looking for that creep and quantity and frequency that's definitely one of the hallmarks a second thing to watch for though has to do with with that purpose so a lot of times if you're gonna get to the point of having like a chemical dependency you're gonna have getting to the point of an addiction generally speaking you're using it to cope and that again is a lot more common now in COVID even than it, than it used to be. But sometimes people are, are really just using substances on occasion to have a good time. And even though that can still be problematic if people are going overboard and binge drinking or overdose, whatever it is, generally speaking, if it's just truly for social use, it doesn't develop into an addiction quickly because you have to repeatedly bring yourself to the point of intoxication in order to get there. So unless it's you, you have a very, very active intoxicated social life, Generally speaking, when once you start thinking about an addiction, it's because it's moved, the purpose has changed to doing it to cope. The third thing that I have folks look for is control. 
So has someone, you know, if someone's gotten to the point where they think, you know, maybe, maybe I should be cutting back or maybe I should be stopping, does it stick? Are they able to do it? Or does it seem like no matter what you're doing, it's like this gravitational pull, it keeps, it keeps bringing you back. And the last thing of the four that, that I use at least to try to help folks determine if they have a problem is consequences. So has the use uh, impacted their life in some major way, either, either socially or uh, at work or at home or physical health or legal problems or financial problems can impact your life in so many ways, but is it causing those problems and are you still doing it anyway? Um, that's, that's usually a sign that it's not just like a treat anymore. It's not just something harmless that you're doing for fun. So that's, those are the things that I usually recommend. You're looking for quantity and frequency. How much are you doing it? You're looking for control. You're looking for the purpose behind it and you're looking at consequences. I've talked about this once a while back in an older episode, just how alcohol or substance really progresses where in the beginning, like you said, maybe you're having one or two for, you know, casual social purposes, and that's all you really need to reach that euphoric stage that you're, you're seeking when you use. And I think when you are seeing a, a problem, we're seeing yeah, that increase in how much you need to really reach that same level of euphoria whether it's one, two, three, four, or five drinks, and it just kind of keeps increasing. And I feel like as that number keeps increasing because your tolerance increases, your habits start to change. You start to see maybe you're spending more time with people that do the same thing that you do. That way you don't feel awkward or strange about it. Or the opposite, where you start to isolate yourself from people around you. That way you don't feel that awkwardness or guilt or shame. Maybe you start to find that your life starts to kind of revolve around it, where you're preoccupied with it, you're planning your day around it, and people often say things like, well, if I finish my responsibilities by 4 o'clock, I can start drinking then. Or uh, my wife is leaving by 3 o'clock, so then I'll have X amount of hours to start drinking or using before I have to talk to anyone. So yeah, or, or like I'll finish this things. podcast. Uh, I'll finish this podcast by five thirty, and then I can throw back a few. Be- yeah, I, I totally. Yeah, so I'm just joking. We <laughs> start to see a lot of different changes in our life that basically make it so we get closer and closer to the substance, people, places, activities we do, and you know along the way, like you said, we start to feel the consequences, whether it's physical health, mental health maybe financial issues, legal issues, marital issues. You start to notice your work performance is not as good as it used to be or your school performance is not as good as it used to be. Maybe you're just feeling lost and away from your values, away from who you used to be. And I think that comes towards the end. I think with alcohol especially, that's one substance where some people can drink for decades sometimes and start to really notice it later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What it loads on for me as well is this idea of like the minimal perceptual difference. Like like where it's something we talk about a little bit more in in the realm of like physical sensations where it's like, can you you tell the difference between these two temperatures or between like the loudness of two noises? But it's the same sort of way where like you don't necessarily notice like day to day your children growing. But, you know, if you look at like year to year, you see the difference. It's the same sort of thing, I think, with with this sort of addictive creep that you're talking about, where it just you have to use more. You start having these consequences or you start thinking about, you know, when are you going to to be able to to drink in the day or use in the day? Um, And you, you don't really notice necessarily when you 
go over certain points, but it's but it, it's just steadily growing, and that's one of the hardest parts about catching this. Uh, and sometimes we have to rely on other people. Like that's that's one of those moments, right? One of these classic moments where like maybe one of your family members says, "Hey, your behavior is kind of concerning me. It seems like yeah. you're 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 doing this a lot." And then it's kind of incumbent on us not to get defensive and to actually to, to take that feedback. Yeah, that's often one of the telltale signs when other people around you have noticed your drinking is out of hand or your substance use is out of hand and we really becoming a problem because like you said, we might not notice it. Like you wouldn't notice a temperature change between, you know, seventy two to seventy one. And likewise with us, you know, when we're undergoing these changes, it's very gradual, very slow where we don't see everything happening. We, you can see it in hindsight, but in the moment, day to day, we don't really see the changes we undergo. Yeah, yeah, but, but it's gradual. And I think this, this is one of the, the things that's kind of like a blessing and a curse through a lot of different elements of health, where it's like, if you're looking at, I think it's called your PSAs, right? Like if, if you're at risk of getting prostate cancer, like that, that's something that doesn't just like immediately spike. It's something that goes up slowly and that you can watch over time as it's increasing. So it's it's good in some ways where, you know, like our, our health doesn't drop off a cliff. But on the other hand, with these behaviors, it can be growing and it kind of Hard slip underneath the radar. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I think people eventually get to that level where life has become negatively impacted by the substance use. And fortunately, sometimes it drives people to anxiety, depression, or, you know, trauma sometimes where we've put ourselves in harm's way or, or really risky situations that have left a, an impact on our life. And unfortunately, people then continue to use. But, you know, I believe at that point, people aren't really using to feel the euphoria anymore. They're just using to feel normal, to not think about what's happened, the consequences or, you know, that negative impact that the substance has had on their life. It's just really using to feel numb at this point. Mm -hmm. and, and you know something else that occurs to me about that, you know, th this idea of, of relief, is that I almost feel like, particularly in COVID, there's like this double-edged sword in terms of shame, where on the one hand, we usually don't encourage people to, to feel shame or guilt. That, that, that's usually seen as like a, uh, a reaction to use. Like if you're not living up to your values and your expectations, it's like a, a signal that, you are uh, that that you're not doing something that that yeah. is in line with your values that that you should be changing course um, and it, you know it's important to listen to that but you don't want to wallow in it because when you wallow in it then it just makes you want to use more yeah. to, to, to numb it out uh, on the other hand though I feel like in COVID because people are giving themselves a, sometimes giving themselves a pass they're avoiding that signal. They're avoiding that guilt and that shame that otherwise would tell them, hey, maybe maybe I should be paying attention to this. And they're just kind of moving forward anyway. Yeah, it's kind of like people picking up bad habits while on vacation. You think you're going to come home and just kind of stop immediately. But I think people are finding that it's harder than they thought it would be to stop a habit that they've been forming for the last 10 months to a year. They've just been developing a habit and now they're having a hard time reversing it. So I think people just don't notice sometimes that what I'm doing now is going to stick with me. It's not just going to magically stop. Yeah. I mean, we, we are uh, unfailingly creatures of habit. It's super hard. I mean, if you think about all the effort that people go through to change habits that aren't even necessarily as chemically hardwired as some addictions are, things like 
losing weight, waking up at a, at a, at a particular time. Uh, I mean, there, there are whole apps that you can get on, on smartphones all about like trying to help people build and maintain habits. And so when you're talking about something like this, where, you know, it's central to kind of like our ability to keep our head above water is coping, where we feel like this is the way that we do it. And then that's as chemical as, as, as substances. It's, it's a really tough mix to, to just snap out of. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, we're not done yet, right? There's still a lot of uncertainties about what is going to happen. How are things going to look like in this coming year? where people were just kind of expecting things to maybe get fixed earlier than we, they thought it would be. But where we thought this thing might have been done by July of last year, it's still still going. And we still have a lot of changes that we put in place last year that we still have in place now. And I think that's that longevity of changes is still kind of putting everyone in that state of stress or depression where people are just really fatigued. I think that's the best way to describe it. They're fatigued with the situation. Thought it would be different, but it's not. Well, fatigued and then sometimes also like in a state of limbo where, you know, like I know some people who have been displaced from their homes for months because they were they were traveling at the time or uh, or even sometimes like even just speaking of my family like my, my my sister lives in San Francisco technically speaking but she's been living in Philadelphia <laughs> for most of the year um, because that ended up being the most convenient and that's where her boyfriend is so and I know another colleague of mine who lives in uh, normally in New York and who's been in Vancouver <laughs> wow. for, for for nine months in part because you know like when you're when you're out there and then something like this happens or if, if you left at the beginning of the the pandemic as he did you know it, it, it it's actually not necessarily a good idea to travel or even to go to new york in general right now um if, if you could be in a place that has lower transmission rates so what, what it means though is that like there, there's folks who are stuck out on islands where they can't even like develop new healthy routines because they're wondering like am i i'm not even home right now when am i going back how is this going to end there's just so much that's that's up in the air and and you're right i mean goodness gracious we're we're approaching almost like uh we're we're almost at at 12 months now just a little short i think like at 11 about since we've had like the first stay-at-home order in illinois where we're located um it's amazing to think that we've been living this way for so long so i guess if someone is noticing that they are struggling or they are going through a phase where they're where their alcohol use or their substance use has gotten out of hand, what should they do? What should be the you know the first steps they take? That is a really, really important question. So I guess it kind of depends on, particularly for the substance, um, like say alcohol, for example, how, how much they're using, right? Because sometimes it can just be like, all right, if, if, you're, if you're having like, if you used to not drink at all and now you're having like two drinks a night, you probably wouldn't meet criteria for a substance use disorder and you could probably just you know stop without any negative health impact from the withdrawal you probably wouldn't even have withdrawal at that point so you could just kind of course correct if um, if that was what you wanted to do but if you're drinking more or using other substances you might actually have to think potentially about going into say detox uh, to get off of it safely or think about medications to help um, you know, it, it can get a little bit uh, yeah. trickier. And so I, I think if it's not something that's at a clearly low level, you know, I, I always recommend your first step being to talk to your primary care physician. Uh, talk to your doctor. Hopefully you have a doctor. If you don't, you should get one. 
but um, they're a great place to start. I think a lot of people are nervous about doing that. They think that they're going to get judged uh, or something like that. But honestly, like if you're if your primary care physician is judging you, you need to get a different primary care physician. Yeah, right? That's, <laughs> they're there to help. And the reason why I mentioned that is that they are your quarterback for health. So you go in there, you talk with them. Um, they can help direct you towards wherever it is you need to go. Um, you can also, of course, do some of your own uh, legwork and sleuthing. Um, you could look into peer support groups if you feel like you need it. You can, uh, you know, get help from a specialist, from a therapist, you know, from a hospital program uh, like like Linden Oaks, uh, where you're employed and where I used to be employed. Um, you know, there's a lot of options about where to go. But if I had to pick one place, if you were concerned about just stopping on your own, I'd say it's your primary care doctor. Yeah, I think that's one thing people don't expect. You know, they started drinking or using and suddenly they want to stop, but they find that they can't stop. Because if they stop, they go through some kind of physical withdrawal symptoms or mental withdrawal symptoms, and then they just kind of find themselves using again just to feel okay again. And I think that's something people don't know, that some substances do result in really severe withdrawals that can be really dangerous. So you said just the, your primary care physician can be a really good resource just to just to help you figure out what the next steps need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and certainly if you have a therapist, you can you can talk to them as well. I know that I, I always I just put myself very much out there to be a resource for folks as well. They they can always contact me directly, and I'll try to link them into services as best I can. You know, particularly if you are in the Chicago area like I am, but even if not, um, I'm I'm happy to help connect folks uh, to, to to care in that way. But it's tough to know where to turn sometimes. There's a lot of options. There's, if, if you do actually end up needing help, there's a long history of fraud in the treatment industry, unfortunately, and that's, that's something that I think a lot of people are aware of. And if they're not, they, they may become acutely aware of if they end up having a bad experience. So it's, it's challenging and having a guide on the inside is, is really helpful. Absolutely. And I think especially going into the winter season where we are gonna be forced to be indoors more. I mean, we already are in the winter season and we are kind of noticing that, yes, the days are shorter, less sunlight, and in the summer we can kind of get around with the outdoor seating or kind of being outside. Now we're really just limited to being inside and I think that's gonna be a very difficult thing for a lot of people. Just being inside, not having any outlets at all. Uh, that's gonna be a ma major struggle for a lot of people. So going into this winter season, I think it's going to be really important just to be aware and proactive in our health. That way we don't find ourselves just falling into really bad patterns that are going to be hard to break. I completely agree. And I, I think another element of this that's important to think about, you know, as we hopefully are moving towards the end stages of, we'll call it an active pandemic as vaccines are rolling out and hopefully we'll see some positive change in case rates and, and such but it is that these things do take a while to develop and unfortunately some like really negative seeds get planted and then it takes a while for them you know to grow so take for example the opioid epidemic for a second like we even before the pandemic hit we were seeing an uptick in overdose death despite the fact that we've been working so hard collectively as, as a healthcare industry as a nation on this problem um, however, the, the nature of the, of the opioid epidemic has shifted over the past you know, five to ten years. It started very much centered on prescription pills in terms of the cause of death. Then it moved over to heroin and now it's moved over to fentanyl. Yeah. But when people are using fentanyl, or even heroin for that matter, they don't start there. 
right? No one just, when they're starting their opioid use disorder, they're usually not like picking up a syringe or even snorting a line of heroin, much less fentanyl. They're usually starting with pills. And so part of what we're seeing now, even though there's been a lot of really good laudable work done on the physician side, we, we have actually seen uh, prescription, prescribing rates for opioids go down steadily since about 2015, I believe, is when that started to change. What we're seeing is all of these people who were kind of put in this pipeline of, of opioid addiction are still in that pipeline. And there's a certain percentage of them who you know, transition into heroin, fentanyl, and then overdose death. And kind of like reaping what we've sown, unfortunately, in, in terms of, of these practices. So in terms of the pandemic, I think what we're seeing right now are these, these really toxic seeds being planted where we've had this explosion of mental health concerns, of depression, of anxiety, of stress, all of this. And, and I, I think that honestly is going to be reverberating for a while. I think there's a lot of people who have not gotten help yet. I think there's a lot of, I think honestly, a lot of this is going to get worse before it gets better, particularly in terms of addiction. Because as you said earlier in the program, it, it, it starts smaller and then grows. So I would not be surprised if there's a lot of people who unfortunately have been kind of pushed into this pipeline of addiction where they're, they're on their way. But because it grows slowly, because it's not immediately noticeable, we might not even see it for another 6, 12, 18, 24 months. Yeah, and the famous thing is people always say, well, I haven't tried stopping yet, right? And I think it's, it's a crude awakening when they try to stop and they find out they can't. Or I've never really tried stopping and now I'm trying for the first time and I'm really struggling. So I think that's... Like you said, it's going to take a while for people to sometimes realize that, you know, I'm in a bad place uh, with my use and it's really, really difficult to stop. Mm -hmm. And that's just, it's all the more important then that as a country, as, as a healthcare community, that we, we ready ourselves for this and that we open our arms to this because we haven't talked much about stigma today. But stigma is a huge issue around this as well, where people are afraid to talk about it and it allows for it to grow in secret. And so knowing that this is an issue already, seeing all of these warning signs, like how much alcohol and marijuana is being bought, the opioid overdose death, even to be honest with you, pornography, um, Pornhub, the, the, the biggest porn site on the internet, their, their viewership rates actually went up by about 20% at the beginning of the pandemic and have not gone down. Everything, online gambling, all of it. Um, it's all happening right now. And so I, I think that, you know, we're, we have an opportunity right now to be ready to help people. We have an opportunity to fund programs that need to be funded so that everyone can get help. That's another huge issue in terms of access. But uh, it, the, the train is coming. You know, it's coming down the track. It's just a matter of if we're ready to, to yeah. receive. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's why this is so important. Getting people the knowledge, the information that they need to really start to look inwards and really think, do I need to start looking at fixing things or making adjustments in my life so that I don't end up in a much worse place than I am now? And I think that's really where it starts, is just the education, the knowledge. And when you give people that information, it's it's power. You know, it's power to really make a decision in your life that can make it positive. Mm -hmm. in the, information in and, then, and then also perspective, like you were saying. I, I like to use that analogy a lot of, of stepping back. And uh, I like to talk about it as like the path that you're on. Like if you, if you take a step back and you think like right now, if I continue doing what I was doing for another five years, where would I end up? 
-hmm. and, and and sometimes that's a really good good test you know like because sometimes when people look at it it's like whoa that's 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 not good like i'd be either stressed out or working myself to death or d divorced or you know clearly in active throes of addiction and so if, if people really examine what path are you on and if it doesn't seem like it's leading you to a healthy place then what do you do about it i think that that really pushes people towards health if you're in the middle of a room you're standing in the middle of the room you can only see one side of it at a time and i think that's kind of where we are in the middle of life you're immersed in it you're immersed in your life and you can only see one side of your life at a time it's when you step back again and kind of really maybe if you stand in the corner of the room where you have the biggest vantage point the biggest point of view and really look at again where where am i going with the way things are now and do i want it to go this way or do i want to change Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of times folks feel a lot more trapped than they actually are. And admittedly, right now, there are some fewer options because of the pandemic and, and just a lot of different areas. But I think that we, we either actively put limits on ourselves, thinking about what we can and can't do, or we, we, we're just so overwhelmed all the time and our lives are so chaotic and hectic that it's like we don't have time to really do, do that, stepping back and looking at everything. And I think that's definitely, you know, being being a parent in the middle of the pandemic, I could tell you that, like, goodness gracious, uh, I have not come up for air in quite some time. Um, I'm kind of, I, I kind of shudder to think of what, my, what, what I'm going to think of my life when I take time to look at it. But it is just the way of things right now. And that's part of why when, when a lot of this starts to change and kids do go back to school and things start to settle down and we can take a, take a breath collectively as a world, um, I think that there's going to be a lot a lot that's released, and I, I think I think ultimately that'll be a good thing, but, but we've got to be ready for it. Absolutely. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of the episode. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, and I feel like our conversations are always very uh, insightful and productive, and uh, we have really good conversations together. I hope we can do further collaborations together as well. Yeah, well, again, thank you so much for having me on the show. And it has been a delight talking with you as well. Far too long since, since we caught up. You know, uh, talking is fun being recorded and not, uh, but recorded is good. I like this. This was nice. Uh, <laughs> in, in terms of something else to say, you know, I guess if I had to put one thing out there, it would be awareness. That I think it's very important right now for us to be aware of ourselves, to be aware of the loved ones in our life, to, 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 to notice as, as things change so that we catch things early because as cliche as it is, a pound of, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, if we can catch things in the early, uh, th imagine what a pound of prevention could do, right? I mean, yeah. goodness gracious, that would be like 16 times an ounce of prevention. But it really is so much better if we can catch this early. And I, th I think that uh, there's a myth that addiction has to advance to rock bottom, that it has to be awful in order for someone to really change. And sometimes that is the case, but other times, if you can see where the train is headed and decide it's not what you want, there, there are changes that you can make. And my, my hope for folks as we go through this really challenging period is that we can be as aware of ourselves as possible, that we can treat ourselves kindly, gently, not get caught into these really negative spirals. And if you need help, don't be afraid to reach out. Very well said. Again, thank you, Dr. Weiner, for coming on the show. And I really look forward to our future work together. Um, I feel like we have a really good way of getting the conversations going. And uh, it's <laughs> yeah. been an absolute Thank pleasure. you again, Ali. It's been a pleasure. And I want to thank everyone for listening. 
and coming back. It's been a while, I know, since the last release of an episode. But if there's ever any topics that you would like to have me talk about in the podcast or you yourself would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me via email or on social media. And just, again, remember to share, follow, and subscribe to help the podcast grow. And that way you don't miss any updates or episode releases. Again, a special thank you to Dr. Weiner. I hope you all enjoyed the show, and I'll see you next time.